for those tough wake-ups. Stats are misleading. It's Marsh and Mello. Major foul. Wake up to serious sports talk. He fist his head. It's Marsh. The CFL, baby. And Mello. I love Ken. It's Marsh and Mello. This is football. For those tough wake-ups. They're heating up. It's Marsh and Mello. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to serious sports talk. Gas tank going to be full. It's Marsh in Canada and Mellow. Why not, eh? It's Marsh and Mellow. Thank you, Canada. Everybody's doing it. Oh, my God, it's early. Uh, good morning. <laughs> uh, it's Marsh and Mellow. We decided to record this early on Monday morning instead of Sunday night because Sunday night was late and we thought morning would be good. And, Kyle, you have to be thinking the same thing that I was thinking this morning, getting up. Wow, we used to do this all the time. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a crazy uh, ride for what almost three years, over three years. Yeah. Um, but it was funny because I woke up at the time that you said, "Hey, let's do it like six a.m. sharp." Yeah, I actually woke up at six a.m. The problem was I forgot to set up the podcast stuff, so uh, that's what I was doing, running around trying to set up the podcast stuff. That gives me nostalgia of the uh, the Grey Cup when we were broadcasting from one of my friend's basements uh, and we were oh, yeah. kind of scrambling together to set up <laughs> so we could do the radio show at 6 a.m. sitting there hungover after going out on th- Thursday night and uh, and then Friday afternoon watching uh, random bowl games uh, laying around in the basement instead of being a Grey Cup event. Good times. Good times. Yeah. That Grey Cup. I went to a concert the night before. I had dinner by myself the night before because I was like, who needs to go to the CFL Awards? Uh, I uh, I actually had some nostalgia on that Grey Cup as well. What was That was 2017, I believe, right? Where Toronto ended up beating Calgary. And, yeah. Uh, I was standing on the concourse at TD Place at the end of the game uh, this past Saturday when I was there. And I was standing with Dwayne Ford and I said, I can't believe I actually watched the Grey Cup from out here. Just like stood around outside because I told Kyle, hey, don't go into the press booth because it's going to be well, a bleep show. And uh, you went up there because you were trying to do the responsible thing and actually cover the event. And I was like, just come down here on the concourse, stand in the snow and have a beer with me. And then you're like, ah, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, so it was the first time I was ever at that stadium. Did not realize their press box, super small. So what I did, I went up there, got the, got the media meal because you have to. Right. Um, but I thought I was going to be inside. So the issue was didn't bring gloves. I don't know if anybody saw that great cup. Uh, There's a foot of snow on the field. Uh, it was bad. I got frostbite, whatever. Uh, yeah, he was uh, spending the entire game trying to make sure that when the game ended, he would still have all 10 fingers. Well, also, I was an idiot because not, one, I didn't have gloves. And two, I kept taking my glo- my hands out of my pockets because I was tweeting the game <laughs> yeah true that's not ideal either you know those uh, those twitter gloves that people always say they have like the little i don't know if those, yeah. those actually work or not but i think i had them like right when like touch phones touch screen phones came oh, out oh yeah everybody did that was like oh you think you're beating the system you're being revolutionary why don't you just use these gloves that allow the best <laughs> of both worlds and then about five minutes later we all realized oh that was a marketing ploy these don't actually really do no. that good of a job with these but uh thank you for joining us here on a monday morning if you're listening on monday if you're not hey thanks for checking in whenever you're checking in uh, thank you as always to our good friends at fox 40 go to fox 40 shop and fox 40 gear and get your whistles coaching boards and much more use the promo 
code CFP15 at checkout and you'll get 15% off of all of your orders and get set for game day. And if you want to get set for game day as well, use the promo code CFL on sawdustcitybeard.com and you'll be able to get yourself free shipping. It saves you about $15 on orders over $100. Team up with a couple of people in your neighborhood. Again, the promo code there, sawdustcitybeard.com and CFL. They got lots of fun stuff here going into the fall that you're going to want to check out. Uh, All right, let's get into week number four in the Canadian Football League. The reason that, of course, we ended up waiting to tape this is because we had a weird Sunday night football uh, that was in (laughs) Winnipeg, and I don't know what the reasoning necessarily was for the Sunday nighter, but my body clock is so thrown off right now. I saw a couple of people saying, I, I would do Sunday night football throughout the summer for me. I don't, I don't even like the NFL Sunday nighter. And the reason for that is yeah. if we have to work on Mondays and again, not everybody does, but if you have to work on Mondays, I really enjoy being able to get my sports in and get my, Basically, I mean, Sunday afternoons, yes, they are glorious when you're watching the NFL and Red Zone and all that good stuff. But in terms of game slot and timing, Sunday night for me is I'm I'm very much somebody who gets the Sunday scaries, as they're called, uh, which is, oh, my God, I have to go to work the next day or <laughs> or I can't believe I have to do this or X, Y or Z. Or I have to take the dog to the vet or I got to get the haircut. or I gotta, And I am somebody who on Sunday evenings likes for there to be absolutely nothing drawing my attention other than me wrapping my head around, okay, I need to prep some food. I got to bring my lunch tomorrow. I got I, laundry, whatever it might be. Like, that's just me as a human being. I like to have that. And uh, having a CFL game on a Sunday night, if they were to do that consistently, I think they'd pull some nice audiences in person because I think it's better for people to go to games on Sunday night than it is Thursday night because obviously you got to go to work on Friday yeah, as well. Yeah. But I, uh, I've never been a huge Sunday night football person, regardless of time of year or league that's being played. Yeah, so obviously the CFL doesn't want to go head-to-head um, with the NFL and NFL regular season. There was a Sunday nighter on last night. It was at Cleveland and Atlanta uh, playing uh, preseason. But um, yeah, I thought it was kind of a weird timing on the game. I thought the game was actually pretty good. It was, um, yeah. It was very good. Um, despite you know everything surrounding it and the time and then the canceled game earlier this week on Thursday and the Ticats and Alouettes game ended up being the first game of the week so it was it was definitely a a weird week and to be honest we're also going to have and you mentioned you know in the next you know month or so there's some weirdly scheduled games where it's like, well, we have a Tuesday game. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually, cause I have the Wednesday game uh, to call on the CFL and TSN. Which Wednesday, 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 October 6th. And honestly, my first thought was, Oh hell, I got a Wednesday. Nobody's going to watch that. And then I was like, wait a minute. People watch football anytime that it's on, whether yeah. it's recorded or it's live. I'm like, that's actually pretty amazing that we have a Wednesday night to be able to put on a great show in Toronto and have the Argos playing again. I think that in that game, they've got Ottawa, if I'm not mistaken, which might not be great based on what we just saw in the game that I just called. But uh, yeah, that is, uh, that's Wednesday, October 6th, Ottawa at Toronto. And then, uh, yeah, but yeah, we've got, we've got a Wednesday game in week six, uh, Hamilton, Ottawa, uh, which is interesting. That that's because we're done with Thursday night football at this point, but I also saw that there's a Tuesday game at some point, and I'm not sure. Yeah, Tuesday, September 28th 
that is Edmonton, Ottawa, leading into the month of October, which is the following week when I have the Wednesday. So, yeah. I, again, I'm sure there's good reasoning for all of this stuff. Uh, I just don't know what it is. So at, at first glance, when you get a Tuesday game, a Wednesday game, people might be a little bit weirded out by that. But yeah. reg- regardless, it's a hey, CFL football only takes three hours out of your life if you want to check in and watch it. And anytime that there's live football on television, the ratings usually show that people stumble into it or they destination view it and they hang around and watch most of the game. Yeah. And there's probably going to be another um, weird schedule uh, quirk um, in the next couple of weeks, whenever they reschedule, I don't even know if they have, they reschedule that Edmonton, uh, not that Toronto I've seen, game. not that I've seen as of yet. I know they're probably going to have to fit it in on like a Monday or like a Tuesday or something like that. Yeah. I'm, I mean, Randy Ambrose, the commissioner of the CFL said there's no natural buy for both teams where they could just pick week and shift things around. And there's lots of people out there that are somebody's uh, playing a midweek game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, for real, like they're going to have to jam it in and one yeah. or both of these teams is going to have a, a short week, I think is the reality from everything that I've seen and from what Ambrosia has said in the media. So uh, that's not ideal for them, but at the same time, like I, does anybody really feel that poorly that after all of this, that Edmonton might have to play on? I do for Toronto, but I, I do on Toronto as well, but for Edmonton, it's like, do you feel bad that they might have to play on five days rest instead of six? It's like, no, <laughs> this no, it's a much, much bigger issue that there's obviously uh, there's been problems at hand that they have uh, been reported that they're, they're trying to make sure that other teams understand the severity of the ramifications that come with yeah. having a game postponed. And it's unfortunate that it did get kind of kicked down the road. But if it ends up being meaningful, I mean, <laughs> in, a, in a strange way, it's almost like when Zion Williamson's shoe blew out when he was at Duke and it was, <laughs> and it was a Nike. And everybody was like, oh, my God, that's the worst thing possible for Nike. And you kind of look at it, you're like, well, I mean, Nike just got like several millions of dollars worth of free exposure for their shoes. Not that they need it because they're Nike and it's basketball shoes. But they got this exposure by something that's bad. And now I'm looking at it, I'm like, Edmonton, Toronto was not necessarily a marquee matchup that I would be super excited for. But when it rolls around and we're all talking about it being the game that was kicked down the, the road, we're probably going to watch because we're <laughs> humans are dumb, man. We're going to feel like, ooh, I've been waiting three months for this game. <laughs> Not really. I mean, it, it wasn't really <laughs> a marquee one in the first place. But just because it's been delayed, we're going to naturally feel the, oh, but I wonder how it would have gone early in the season. and How different are the rosters from when they would have played early in the season? And how much does this actually play into the, the ramifications of the playoff picture here? And We're going to make up all these things, and then that yeah. game is going to be – worth watching and hey hopefully it turns into a really really good game but uh i th- i think toronto is obviously the the party that is most inconvenienced yeah. by all of this stuff and we saw in the nfl last year right um dealing with covid was it a sunday nighter got kicked back to a yeah. monday or a tuesday i think a monday nighter got kicked back to a tuesday so like there were schedule uh quirks uh, all season long um, speaking about Zion Williamson and shoes, uh, did you see Shaquille O'Neal's uh, story about Reebok? No. So Shaquille O'Neal was on um, Nelk. Do you know who Nelk is? No clue. So Nelk, uh, they're big on YouTube. They do like pranks and stuff. Actually, the kid, is, <laughs> the kid, I think, is from Mississauga. Like one, there's a group of guys, um, but one of the guys is from Mississauga. And he, 
his subscriptions on YouTube is stupid. Anyways, uh, I think he just started a podcast and he had Shaq on. And Shaq was telling the story about um, Reebok and he had just signed a contract. And I think it was for four year, uh, $40 million over five years, which in the late 90s, early 2000s, there's a good chunk of change. Now everybody's contract is like a hundred million dollars. And I'm just like, man, inflation have gone stupid with endorsement deals. Anyways. Um, and he was saying he had just signed the contract and he was walking out of the building, but he was outside and there were a bunch of fans there. And this woman like slapped his hand and said, how dare you? You came from like nothing. And now you're selling shoes that kids can't afford. And Shaq, was like oh, whatever and got back to his car and then he was thinking oh crap she's right so that's when Shaq called Reebok and said I'm not going to do the deal and that's when he started his own brand yeah that's so when, when he started the Shaq brand the Shaq brand with him and, yeah with two hands I remember those are like still available at winners I'm pretty sure but my my favorite Reebok story in terms of basketball which goes to show that they've been close a couple of times not dissimilar to the Ottawa Redblacks being close on getting a franchise middle linebacker not that they don't have one now in Avery Williams but uh <laughs> they were close on Jordan Williams who's now playing for BC because they almost signed him before they found out he was a Canadian and they were close yeah. on Alex Singleton I believe he was a negotiation list player in Ottawa before but for Reebok they had LeBron James flown in private plane helicopter all that stuff sat him down when he was in high school and said we will give you a lifetime contract right now for X amount of dollars. We want to be the first ones. We will put a hundred million dollars in your pocket as a high school, <laughs> as a high schooler. Yeah. We'll put a hundred million dollars in your pocket. And he said, no, nah, I think I'm worth more than a hundred million, but thank you. I'll bet on myself. <laughs> and he walked away and now he's a billion dollar asset. Right. So um, yeah, Reebok has been close, but not been able to close the deal. But the Shaq brand that was all for a woman slapping Shaq's hand. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And the then funny also, thing was, uh, I heard uh, somebody on Twitter say, if she sh slapped his hand, she fouled him. Did he hit the free throws? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that also reminds me of the Marbury shoes, right? Like the, the whole idea. Oh, that, yeah. That, Starbury, that yeah. Kid. That's a great documentary. People should check it on Netflix about Stefan Marbury. But uh, yeah, so it was, uh, speaking of being close and not getting the deal done like Reebok, uh, the Sunday nighter. Winnipeg 1816 over Calgary and Jake Mayer. Uh, I saw somebody tweet on Sunday night. Oh, Jake Mayer's going to end up as Ottawa's quarterback in 2022, isn't he? <laughs> and I was like, that would be interesting to go from the Calgary backup role because what he did in that first half being 16 of 16 and setting a franchise record for consecutive completions and yeah. he was in rhythm. And I'll just say this about Jake Mayer. He, this is classic football analysis that doesn't really mean anything. He's got a look in his eye. I'm glad that Dunnigan pointed this out at halftime of the way he carries himself in the huddle. Because, yeah, the interview was good at halftime, and he seems wise beyond his years, and he seems really comfortable for a guy only making his second career start. He's making some really nice throws. Uh, he is moving around the pocket comfortably. But for me, when I say he's got that look in his eye of somebody who actually might be in this league for a while, is that he when, when he puts receivers in motion, He's commanding people. He's like pointing at Herji Mayal and being like, you go like, hey, uh, Marky Thambles, get like he's sending people and he knows exactly where people are supposed to be. And usually early on as a CFL quarterback, you're just like, you know, spin your finger in the air and hope everybody ends up at the right place. But he's actually already sending traffic exactly where he wants it. And 
there's some really great shots that they've got of him with Dave Dickinson on the sideline in the first two starts here where they're having a conversation and it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't look again. I'm not lip reading on this, but it doesn't look like your basic conversation of like, Hey, good throw or Hey, we'll come back to this play next drive. They're actually having deep conversations and it seems like mayor is on the sideline going, okay, I want this play on the, the start of the next drive or like mm-hmm. they're, they're working together in a way that, I'm, I don't know. I just have this sense when I've watched Calgary's last two games that Jake Mayer's probably not going anywhere. And, and I'm not saying he's going to be Dane Evans or you know, hotly sought after and wanted by all the teams across the league because he's an absolute stud or I don't know. But I, I do think he's going to be around and I do think that he looks like he's got a future in this league through two games. Yeah, even in his you know debut in the CFL, the first couple of drives, I was like, oh boy, this is yeah. going to be rough. And then by the second half, he showed some promise and he, he showed some pop. Tom, uh, Mike Mayock always talked about that, right? On tape, do you show pop? And as a quarterback, maybe you're, you know, uh, just scouted in a different way. Um, but he does the things that quarterbacks need to do to be successful. And I like what I've seen um, from the first couple of games. Um, as for the contest, it was weird because Calgary, I thought there were moments in the game where it was almost like they were chasing Winnipeg, but the Blue Bombers put themselves in the position that Calgary was kind of chasing the game. For the Blue Bombers, I don't know how many drops they had, four or five big ones. In the first half, Zach Kalaros, he had two drives stopped because outright drops drew Olatarski dropped one coming across the middle. Um, he was wide open. I think Lawler dropped another one. I think in the second half, Lawler had a drop that I thought he could have taken the ball to the house. He was coming across the middle. The defender kind of went for the hit and just missed as Lawler was dropping the ball. And he had the whole side of the field to run. I think I thought he could have scored a touchdown on that play. Um, but as, as for mayor, I think, Calgary is always at the forefront of, okay, who's next? We have Bo. That's great. But if Bo goes down, who do we have? And I don't think a lot of CFL teams think like that, but that could just be Dave Dickinson and being a quarterback where he's like, I want to have more good quarterbacks in house. Well, here's, here's my, uh, I don't know if it's a conspiracy theory or if it's just a (laughs) hypothesis or what, but when you talk about Calgary being on the front edge of having the next quarterbacks, if Calgary believes that they've got Jake Marin, that he's somebody that they could hold on to maybe as a backup to Bo Levi for a couple of years, or I I don't know how quickly, if Ottawa's season keeps going like this, do the Red Blacks end up calling Calgary and saying, Hey, what's it going to cost us to get Michael O'Connor as a Canadian quarterback to come home and give us some great PR. And the reason that I say that is at the end of the game that I was calling on Saturday night, which we'll get to coming up in just a little bit here, we showed some shots of Dominique Davis and I went through Dominique Davis's 2019 season. We all know that it was bad. bad. We all know that it was bad, but it was stunning when I actually had to read on national television in 2019, he had 15 interceptions to four touchdowns, or it might have been 14 and five. But regardless, there, there was three times as many interceptions as there were touchdowns. And again, yeah. it's, it's not just on the quarterback, but there were a lot of throws that he made that I just, I again, I hate to say this about Dominique Davis because 
I'm always in favor of people getting a second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth opportunity because as soon as they prove themselves on any of those opportunities, it's a success story. I just don't know how long they're going to trust him if if Nichols gets dinged or if Nichols' arm doesn't feel right or if they're not getting the performance because I was in Ottawa and there were people that were saying, hey, how long how long can they possibly play yeah. Nichols until it feels irresponsible to the fans and to the rest of the team? And I don't think that they're there. But if they get there, can you put Dominic Davis out in a home game in front of those fans who watched him throw 14 interceptions and five touchdowns in 2019? I don't think you can for very long unless he blows you away. But at the same time, he blew you away in week two. He set a career high of 374 yards passing, four touchdowns, whatever it was against the Riders in week two of 2019. Then they won one game for the rest of the year. So yeah. I, I just don't know if you can do that. And if Calgary is going to go with Jake Mayer, then there's a potential there that you could get an Ottawa native, an Ottawa kid, a big body, talented Canadian quarterback to come back and be in Ottawa and at the very least give them some hope for the future. If the season does go sideways where the offense just isn't really clicking. And I don't know if he really fits what Lapalis wants to do moving forward. But I do know that it would be a, a great story, and Calgary might be open to it if Jake Merritt is – they're going to keep him as their guy moving forward. Yeah, and this conversation is all predicated around Matt Nichols being replaced or getting dinged or something like that. And I actually don't think Ottawa's there yet. For as bad as no, they've agree. been offensively, I don't think it's Matt Nichols' fault. Like, their offensive line is really bad. Like, we look at the Cats and we say, oh, boy, this offensive line is going to be a struggle all season long. It's kind of the same thing in Ottawa. I think they are tied for the most sacks given up. I think they're at 13. Yeah, well, uh, I saw I had a stat in that game, Kyle, that on second and seven plus, Ottawa had been giving up a sack 30, <laughs> 32% of their snaps that were second and seven plus. It's where crazy. They, where they like one third of the time where you're calling a pass play on second, a passing down, right? In, in the CFL, passing on second and seven is about 90 to 95% across the whole league. It's yeah. crazy high. Everybody throws consistently on second and seven plus. Defenses know that. So you have to protect because you're going to get their best punch. Ottawa hasn't been able to do it, but they do have like Mark Cordy goes from left tackle to center. They got Nolan McMillan at the right guard spot, who's a veteran, but they end up not having Alex Mateus. They end up not having Alex Fontana. They end up having some injuries across there. They have, they lose Sir Vincent Rogers. They lose Sean, uh, not Sean McEwen. I was thinking about him from Toronto, but um, the point stands that they've, there's been a lot of fluctuation, but they still have to try and protect. Uh, otherwise you're just, you're not going to get very many wins. Like it's as simple yeah. as that to me with that offense, no matter how fast Matt Nichols gets the ball out of his hand. Yeah. And I think it's important to state as well. Um, I don't think Paul Lapolis is a huge, and, and I could be just judging here. I don't think he's a huge fan uh, of Dominic Davis. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he did have him in Winnipeg uh, for a short amount of time. And we saw what he did in Winnipeg in spot duty for Matt Nichols. Yeah, there was times he showed some flash, but also it was a good football team in Winnipeg. Then he goes to Ottawa. He gets the reins to be the starting quarterback. And he, he, fought, he, you know, he fails. But that Ottawa offense, was, it was bad. Like outside of Brad Sinopoli, they didn't really have any playmakers um, down the football field. They had offensive line issues. Remember that was after Sir Vincent Rogers marched away from uh, Ottawa, Greg Ellingson, and he was stuck with whoever was left. And Brad Sinopoli, 
Uh, I'm convinced that I think Radzinopoli, if Ottawa, I don't think Radzinopoli wanted to leave Ottawa, um, but he wanted to maybe play one more year in the CFL, even after the restart. And Radzinopoli just looked around and said, we're not going to win here, at least yeah. this season. I'm, I'm, I'm going to step away because I don't want a repeat of 2019 um, where we saw his numbers drop because I think it was up for Bradsonopoli. If he would have known, obviously the pandemic was coming, which there's no way he, he could have, um, he would have called it quits in a 2020 season um, because Ottawa, even if we played football in 2020, I don't think was suited to you know make a run and be one of the competitive teams in the cfl yeah you're spot on with all of that i uh it'd be very hard for brad snopley to want to get out of bed with a bruised ankle and a a, you know a twisted uh, knee and all these things and ice on everything and in order to go into practice and stand around on sidelines because if you are following brad snopley on instagram that dude's fishing account is elite uh, <laughs> Brad Sinopoli just posts pictures of fish that he's caught and it seems like he is spending his entire life right now on a boat throughout the summer fishing and he's enjoying the hell out of it so I'm happy for him it was cool to see him at the game on Saturday night as well because he is working with uh, Oseg as a community ambassador but yeah he I, he had more in the tank I think it, it's pretty clear to see he should have just done the Russ Jackson from 1969 where you go out on top with four touchdown passes and you win the great cup if he would have gone out uh, you know, not necessarily in 2016, because that would have been too early. But in 2018, he did end up having uh, the most catches ever by a Canadian. I mean, if he could hindsight 2020, and he actually knew what was coming in the future years of 2019 is going to be trash, 2020 is going to be canceled, and 2021 is going to be a rebuilding year. Yeah, he probably would have finished in 2018 and been like, greatest Canadian of all time. Thank you. <laughs> Enjoy yourselves. And just like walked out the exit and would have done the farewell tour or whatever. But uh, he's a good dude. And uh, and I, I'm glad, honestly, that he's not in, in the league right now getting beat up for not a lot of reward other than yeah. making, making a little bit of money. But he's, he's enjoying life. So. <laughs> I thought it was interesting on the broadcast uh, on uh, Friday because I think it was Shinetti uh, that was doing the interview with Sinopoli <laughs> on the field. And then the rain started to come and they showed Sinopoli on camera and he was just like, okay, they still have me on camera. I can tell that. I know yeah. that. And then as soon as like the game started, Sinopoli's like, okay, I'm getting out of the rain. Screw I, this. <laughs> I don't know if they asked him to stay there because it was awkward, <laughs> but it looked as though they asked him to stay so they could get a couple of shots of him while we were talking about him. And then the second that we weren't going to be talking about him anymore on, on the show. Uh, it looked like he was like, we're good. Clear. Great. See you guys later. And just <laughs> boo, gone. But um, yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about uh, the actual football game here. We'll save the broadcast notes for the end of this pod, but yeah, uh, the game itself, like you say, rainy back and forth and Michael Riley ends up basically just doing like the old leader thing where you kind of piece together with a little bit of special teams, defense gets an interception off of Nichols, uh, the ground game was more prevalent than it's been throughout the season for BC. Part of that, I think, honestly, was that you had Dominique Rimes get dinged. You had Shaq Johnson go down early in the game. And so you start looking around at the rest of your... We were doing it in the booth. We're going, they got Jacob Scarfone in there playing wide side wide receiver. They've got Lamar Durant, but he got dinged at one point and had to go out for a couple of drives, I think. So you're like, well, they have Javon Katoy and they have David Mackey. 
and you couldn't ask for better game situation and weather conditions if those are the two guys that you have to play. Not that Katoy can't run up and down the field and make a bunch of catches, but he's not Lamar Durant. He's not Brian Burnham. He's not Dominique Grimes in terms of being a dynamic route-running pass catcher at this point. He is, though, a massive body that can beat people up at the line of scrimmage and has pretty good hands, as we saw in the touchdown grab that he had. So when I saw the way the game was unfolding with injuries, it forced the hand of BC to play the game a certain way. And then the weather was like, oh, you guys want to run the football, be physical and grind some clock? Sure. Allow us to let the rain fall and make this even more sense for, <laughs> for you. So uh, it felt like it was, I don't want to say a, a foregone conclusion, but when the game started trending that direction and the rain started coming down and you saw what Ottawa was producing offensively, throwing five or less yards from the line of scrimmage consistently, not really getting much push up front with the running game. It was like, BC's going to win this game. You, you just, you probably felt it, Kyle, halfway through the second quarter. It's like Ottawa's trying, doing what yeah. they can, but BC's just going to find a way. Yeah, and for Michael Riley and that offense, their success is contingent on can you protect Mike Riley? And right now, I mean, they have so many injuries up front. You know, you lose both tackles. That's not easy to get over, right? And Riker Matthews doesn't look like he's going to be back anytime soon. He's on the six-game injured list. I didn't didn't realize he was on the sixth game until I started prepping for the game. I'm like, damn. And then Figaro was close but couldn't go. And then uh, Gerald Broxton that they brought in. He got injured in the game? Yeah, like, and it was an elbow thing for him, which when Riker Matthews did an elbow in Hamilton, he was out for a couple of weeks, a couple of years ago. That's not a really good one to have if you're an offensive lineman. So, yeah, they their tackle spot is rough right now. Yeah, so Michael Riley, you could tell that he was getting a little antsy in the pocket, but Michael Riley is one of the elite quarterbacks in the CFL, even still to this day. Um, so if he has to get the ball out, you know, as soon as he drops back, he's going to do it. And he's probably going to have some success um, around it as for how the game kind of played out. And I think it's kind of repeated itself multiple times already early in the season where, okay, clearly this team is better than the team they're facing. Like BC was on Friday night against Ottawa, Mm -hmm. but it's like this slow burn offensively where it's like, It's like, it takes you a while to get into the game. It's like a boxing bout where like the boxers for the first three rounds kind of just figure each other out. Okay. Got timing down. Okay. He always steps there. Okay. Okay. Now I'm going into the corner Uh, after the third round, I'm going to come out in the fourth round. I'm really going to start slinging it. And I think like, it's been like that for the CFL kind of all season long and maybe a little bit last night in in Winnipeg, Calgary. I thought Winnipeg offensively obviously drops and stuff uh, led to it. But as for, you know, I look at BC and I think, I don't know if they have enough to compete in the West. Like when I compare them to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, I think they're still way behind. Well, Saskatchewan is obviously tough because I think that they're the class, but I would say, You've got a really talented defensive backfield in BC. That's something to like. Yes. Uh, you've got Canadian middle linebacker, Canadian will linebacker making plays. Chiaffi can fly around. Young, talented defensive line that is a little bit injured right now. But when fully healthy, I think that they're probably a top five defensive line. And they've got a lot of names you don't know, so you don't think that. But they can get after it pretty good. And then offensive line 
is going to be a question, their consistency throughout the whole year, but Kelly Bates has made them better. Brian Burnham, mm-hmm. alongside Lucky Whitehead, is the most dynamic one-two through the first month of the CFL season. Riley's your quarterback. Shaq Cooper's running hard. I think there's a lot of things to like there. I don't know if the wins will pile up, but in a one-game situation, in a West semifinal, where you have BC going into Winnipeg, let's say, if Winnipeg is hosting a West semi, Winnipeg would be favored if BC were to make just enough plays to win that game 23-17, I wouldn't I wouldn't be that surprised because that's kind of the CFL. And again, at that point, if BC goes into Saskatchewan in a in a West final, yeah, I'm taking Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan probably comes out with that. But if Fajardo, for some reason, has an off day or if the weather plays into it or Riley just does the old warrior thing, it's like they have a lot of ways BC does that they can win football games, which I think is important to keep in perspective when – yeah, they're going to go up and down throughout the season. They'll probably end up around 500 by the end of the year. But they have ways to get it done, and I don't think that they've even accessed all of them yet. I just I see the raw talent at, at a variety of these positional groups, and I think to myself, they have a chance, regardless of what their record is, to make some noise in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so BC, um, they're as always, they're not the team to play on Labor Day. Um, they're going to have a bye week, and then uh, they return to action against Ottawa again, uh, September 11th. Yeah. So for BC, it's getting healthy. That's the objective over the bye week because they are definitely banged up. Now, I don't know if Joel Figueroa will be back uh, for that game against Ottawa on the 11th. Um, but for BC, I think having Michael Riley there obviously gives you a chance to win every single week. And I'm glad you mentioned the secondary for BC because I think they are very good. Um, As for the rest of that defense, I think they make enough plays. Um, But I think it all depends on can that offensive line get somewhat healthy. And if Riker Matthews, and I don't know if he's out for the season, I don't think he is. He's on the six-game injured list. If he gets back um, later in the season, we saw week one what BC – can do yes they had an awful first half against Saskatchewan Rough Riders but they almost had a miracle comeback in the end and Michael Riley threw for a million yards um why because they protected him and against a very good Saskatchewan defense um Michael Riley was almost able to to will him back so uh we'll see how this kind of plays out but for BC it's about getting that offensive line healthy yeah absolutely yeah all right let's get a quick break for you here the Canadian Football League. Say what's up to our good friends at Four Stagioni coming up in just a second. We're going to dive into the Tie Cats, the third and final game of the week, and then uh, laugh at me. Just laugh at me. That's what we're going to do coming up for you in just a second here. It's Martian <laughs> Mello on Canadian Football Perspective. <laughs> Marshall Ferguson here for my friends at Forstagioni. They've got some great summer specials coming up for you in the next couple of weeks. The Triple Bogey Contest Giveaway. $5 tall cans of Triple Bogey Lager and Amber. And every Triple Bogey sold will be a ballot into a draw to win some great golf prizes, including a grand prize of a custom Triple Bogey Golf Bag. Lamb Spadini on the barbecue on the patio once every couple of weeks. they got a new summer drink menu that's holding on strong even as we head towards the fall and daily drink deals such as Sangria Saturday, Corona Buckets, and, of course, $9 Classic Cocktails. Check them out on Instagram at 4 Joni. That's at F-O-R-E dot S-T-A-G-I-O-N-E. 
getting you through the mornings. Johnny Manziel off to Montreal. Hopefully it doesn't sink. Number 24 on the list, the Titanic. Martian Mellow. I think it was the first movie I watched with nudity. You watched Titanic because of nudity? Yeah, for the... <laughs> what? For the four minutes. And that was when the boy's L became the man's L. At that age, four minutes, probably too long. Now, welcome back. It is Marsh and Mello on, t- on uh, Canadian Football Perspective. Can't uh, make jokes like that anymore. You're on TV. I know. That's true. Yeah, Got to be careful. That's why, that's why I keep the podcast going so we can keep having fun with the risque jokes. Uh, all right. Let's get into Hamilton, Montreal here before we talk about uh, my broadcast experience, which uh, I'll try to make as not self-involved as possible, but I do have a couple of things I want to say about that. What did you see from Hamilton, Kyle? They get a victory. Uh, it's their first year. Tommy Condell was on the sidelines. I thought that was interesting. Was not up in the booth. Uh, him and Mark Washington looked like they were really happy to get the win at the end of the game as they're walking towards, you know, kind of handshakes and whatnot. Uh, for me, Dane Evans looked accurate, looked in control of the offense, yep. looked, looked confident. There's a lot of things to like. The offensive line still an issue at this point. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> um, and I, I just, I looked at their defensive backfield, thought they played a better game. Montreal is such a wild wild approach to Canadian football right now because in an era of everybody throwing for 75 80% completion rate and throwing flat routes and curls and flat routes and curls and screens and flat routes and curls and hey a skinny post and a flat route and a curl and a flat and a curl when they're doing all of that Montreal and Vernon Adams Jr. just don't give a damn they do not care what the rest of the league is doing I'm not saying they're not running similar concepts but I asked Dwayne Ford about this on Saturday and he said it reminds him of when Kahari was at his prime where there's a reason why the head coach is allowing the quarterback to play this way. It's because the head coach enjoyed playing that way. And that's an amazing marriage to be able to have an understanding of, of what you are able to do with yeah. Kahari Jones saying, Hey, VA, you, you like slinging it? Cool. Let's sling it. Let's live and die on the sword. And they died on the sword, obviously, in this one, because they ended up losing by 17 to Hamilton at home. Was that the same thing uh, that went wrong in Edmonton when Jason Moss was there? Where he would, because he liked playing that way, he was like, yeah, screw the run game. We're just going to sling it. And not only throw it, we're going to throw it like 15 yards down the field. And Mike Riley's just going to stand back there and just sling. I, I haven't calculated the week three, or sorry, the week four uh, yards in air for Vernon Adams Jr. But through the first two weeks, he was averaging like 22 yards in the air. And as I was, <laughs> Kyle, as I was watching, okay, as I was watching this game, I kept laughing. Sitting by myself, I kept laughing. And all I could think as I'm giggling to myself is, he's, he's going to average 30 yards per attempt in this game. And I don't know what it was because I haven't, again, done the math yet. But uh, when the, we put the target charts out this week, which, by the way, I actually will do. Last couple of weeks, I've been like, hey, I'm going to do this. And then stuff's gotten in the way, either you know, life or uh, getting ready for a broadcast and things like that. But it will be out this week. We'll have it out on Tuesday for you on the on cfperspective.com if you want to check it out. But yeah, when I saw how deep he was targeting, I'm like, this feels different than Edmonton because Edmonton was not reckless. Edmonton was calculated and we'll mix in four or five runs here with CJ Gable and then we'll take a couple of shots with Michael Riley. And, but Montreal, it, most of it's off script. Like most of it is scramble rules and VA creating and buying some time. And it's, it's, uh, it's fun to watch when it hits they look like the greatest team in the history of the <laughs> CFL. When it doesn't yeah. hit, 
you lose by 17 at home to a team that didn't have a win so far on the year with a quarterback who hadn't gotten a start so far on the season. Yeah. So I said it earlier in the season, right? I said, Montreal has an unbelievable potent run game, but it's not like their run game is a massive part of their offense. And it's kind of whittling away as we go along in the season. And if you can get on Montreal early, they are, and they've shown, they are very willing to abandon every sort of run game aspect to their team. And again, against Hamilton, I thought Vernon Adams Jr. on multiple occasions could have run for a first down, could have ran for eight yards to pick it up on second down. Instead, he's slinging the ball over the middle, like you said, 22 yards down the field, and it's incomplete. And it's just like, you are not going to be able to be consistent enough to hold you know, opposing offenses on the sideline if your offense is going out there and just going to and out because you guys are overly aggressive. And I think that's becoming a thing. And maybe Kahari Jones um, won't step in. But for Vernon Adams Jr., look, you've made massive strides. The 2019 season was a dream season for you. Made massive strides as a passer. You're not there yet. You're, you're, you're not the Bo Levi Mitchell, the Michael Riley, the Trevor Harris of the CFL. I'm sorry, you just can't play like that. And even those guys that I just mentioned, and Michael Riley, when he was at Edmonton with Jason Moss, I just mentioned it. Their offense, it wasn't consistent enough. And the reason why it wasn't consistent enough, they had all the weapons on the outside and on their offense to be successful, but they just decided to turn it up to 10 and keep it there the entire game. You can't play like that in the CFL. I I talked earlier about a slow burn. Sometimes you need to run for run the ball for four yards and maybe even sometimes run a draw play on second down just to keep the opposing offenses, you know, uh, you know, on their toes a little bit and also keep their ears from being pinned back on second down when they know you're throwing the ball every single down. The analyst in me agrees with you. The football fan in me disagrees with oh, you. Oh, absolutely. Right? <laughs> that's, that's where I find this to be an interesting conversation of the way that Montreal is playing the game right now is they are actively making a choice to be entertaining and uh, challenging the status quo. And the slow burn is the smarter thing unless you're Ottawa and the burn is so slow that you can't score points. And for Montreal, I think they would be able to maybe a little bit more consistently, but I don't think they want to win in the margins. Like, I don't think Kahari has any interest in Vernon Adams Jr. going 18 of 22 for 140 yards, averaging three yards per target down the field and running the ball 50% of the time on first down. I just don't think that they want to do that. It's not who they are. I don't think that it's, they would feel like a waste if they were using Vernon Adams Jr. for that. Based on the personnel they have, based on the coaching staff that they have, They've just decided that they're going to be brash with this on offense and they're going to dare you and challenge you. And again, this is an interesting test coming up on Friday of Labor Day weekend because Montreal is trying to bounce back off of a loss and Ottawa is trying to bounce back off of a loss to avoid going 0-2 to start the season at home. Montreal, when if they hit, they could ring up, you know, Mike Benavides' defense has been fantastic throughout the year so far, but they could ring up 30 some odd points if they get a couple of the big plays that we've seen and they get a couple of turnovers and short fields and all the rest. If they don't hit, what are people going to be saying about Montreal if they lose to Hamilton and it's close or they lose to Ottawa? Because they've got all the potential in the world. And yeah. that and th- But this is the style that you're playing where it's going to be volatile and people are going to overreact. There's no team in the CFL 
that will be more overreacted to all year long than the Montreal Alouettes because one week they'll look incredible and they'll blow your, the doors off and score 45 points and VA is going to go for 400 yards and, and then the next week they're going to hit on 10% of their deep passes because the success rate of deep passes is significantly lower than short ones. The efficiency numbers show that out and they're going to put up seven points and lose a game like they just did. And uh, I, I applaud them for making an active decision that mm, no, we're going to play this way, the way yeah. not, not a lot of other people are playing consistently because other teams will take their shots. It's just the fact that I'm sitting there laughing, watching Montreal play against Hamilton because I'm, I'm thinking to myself, the whole offense is shots. The whole thing is just let's be aggressive and get after it. And I'm a fan of it, but yeah, I wonder at what point they have to reel that in or refine that, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, now I don't want to overlook the performance of Hamilton's defense because they were very good in the game. Uh, their def- that defensive line going into the game, I was a little bit worried about. No Dylan Wynn, no Ja'Gary Davis. Um, but they look really good. And they controlled um, you know, the battle of the trenches in, in terms of when uh, Montreal had the ball. And William Stanback held to, what, 3.3 yards uh, a carry? If Hamilton can do that, they're going to make teams like Montreal kind of abandon the run. Um, that's the thing that frustrates me, though, with Montreal. Because you have the best running quarterback in the CFL, easy riders fans, um, I just don't think they draw up enough for Vernon Adams Jr. to make easy plays. Whether it's run-pass option or whether it's something along those lines, um, just stop doing the five, seven-step draw for Vernon Adams Jr. and just allowing him to throw the ball as many times as he does in the game, just because I don't think you're going to be successful. Um, in 2019, what made them successful? Vernon Adams Jr. running the football when he had opportunities and William Stanback running for, uh, you know, a, a bunch of uh, yards and, and running, you know, through contact and things like that. That's what Montreal needs to get back to. Um, not the, the this offense kind of a la Edmonton 2018 (laughs) offense that they're running right now. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Let's take a look at the standings here before we move on to our final topic of the day. And uh, as it stands at this point, obviously Saskatchewan is the only undefeated team at 3-0. They were on the bye this past week. Man, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, back-to-back games after Winnipeg holds on and defeats Calgary on Sunday night here. It's going to be a lot of fun. But BC 2-2, they go into their bye week in week number five. Edmonton, we think they're playing Labor Day. Uh, they are one and two, of course, with the game that was postponed from last Thursday against Toronto. Calgary, at this point, one and three in the bottom of the West Division in the basement. And we I don't do... think they're as bad as that record would indicate. No, I don't think they are either, but your record uh, is where you are, and they are at the bottom of the West as of right now. So they've got some work to do here once we get past the uh, the quarter pole of the season in the East the only team with two wins is Toronto and they've played uh, everybody's played at this point themselves, three games in the East. So you've got two and one Toronto and then one and two Hamilton, one and two Ottawa, one and two Montreal. Uh, But a lot of people believe I was talking to somebody the other day in Ottawa who said, I don't think there's going to be a crossover this year because I think the East, you you should have Hamilton, Toronto and Montreal good enough to get into the playoffs and not have a team from the West come over from that fourth slot. With that being said, that's contingent upon Montreal hitting on some of these shots and winning football games, the way they're trying to play that we just talked about. And if they can't do that, then there will be a crossover because I think Hamilton and Toronto should be the two teams to come out of the East. If there's a crossover. Yeah. And I think it's also dependent upon 
Ottawa being as bad as they've been, right? Because we haven't seen a lot of East versus East matchups so far early in the season. Yeah. Um, those East teams haven't really racked up wins against Ottawa, um, but those wins might be coming. Um, Ottawa, I think the 2021 season is going very similar to that 2019 season. Ottawa, remember early in that 2019 season, big win early, and we're like, okay, maybe Dominic Davis is going to do something. Not the case. It was what? Would they lose 13 games in a row? Like it was bad. Um, so I think that we'll see that come to fruition as well. Um, as for the Tie Cats, we can still break down that performance against Montreal. Offensively, you were right. That offensive line needs to improve because the way they have it set up now. And look, we mentioned it two weeks ago on the show. I like K. Okafer. I do. Kyle can't be playing left tackle. I'm, I'm just, there's too many times in that game where he just whiffed. Who was the guy yesterday um, in that Winnipeg Bryce, uh, Calgary Bell. game? Yeah. Bryce Bell. That dude looked like a deer in bleeping headlights. I understand Willie Jefferson has an unbelievable first step. Dude, it was like three snaps in a row where he didn't even move. <laughs> Willie Jefferson was just gone. Uh, Willie, uh, Willie has the ability to throw people with his strength and his length and his quickness. And he just toys with offensive tackles. And as soon as he got Bryce Bell, it was like, okay, well, there's obviously going to be pressure here. So now you're calling the entire game yeah. trying to prevent that. But I thought Tommy Condell did a good job for Hamilton of not taking away your entire offense in order to just not get your quarterback hit. Like Dane got pressured a couple of different times. Woody Barron got in on for a sack early in the game, but he was able to stand in, make throws, take hits, absorb contact, read through the defense regardless. Uh, and that was nice to see. And I, honestly, I'm happy for Dane. I, I, I like Jeremiah as well. Everybody that is around Hamilton knows this, but Dane has this really unique whippy arm that is live and was so productive in university at Tulsa that he's got, I think the ceiling on him I'm not going to say, you know, all-time greater stuff, but he could be an above-average CFL quarterback for a long time. And him and Tommy Condell seem to be on the same wavelength, and so it was nice to see them not bowing down to, well, we might have protection issues. Let's just take the the ball yeah. out of the quarterback's hand the entire game. They still played football. They still they, they ran a lot of the stuff that they wanted. They were just chipping defensive ends with Nikola Kalinic, or they were rolling the puck a little bit, or they were... They didn't do it all the time, though. They did it way less than when they had Jeremiah and rolling that pocket away from pressure, because uh, that's essentially what they were doing every drop back for, for Jeremiah. Um, there were two moments that I thought were, you know, kind of tearjerkers um, this week. One, you watching you do a broadcast <laughs> on the CFL on TSN. And the other one was watching Sean Thomas Erlington get into the end zone because I know how long of a road that is back, um, getting back from an injury uh, like he had. We, we saw him in 2019 after he went down early in the season. And, and after he was – That was the thing. Like, he yeah. Went, he went down week four in Montreal. So for him to go back to Montreal – and stick it in their face and get into the end zone. I was, that was what made me happy for him was this was a full circle moment of going from, okay, I, I got injured in this place. I had my season taken away. I was one of the most exciting players at the start of 2019. We went to a gray cup. I could have contributed. I could have helped. Didn't get any of that. And he goes back to Montreal and he's like, let me close this chapter and move forward because he hasn't been as productive as he was in 2018, 2019 before injuries, but he's been very, very good for Hamilton thus far. Him, Jalen Acklin at times, I think they've been the two best players on that offense outside of the quarterbacks. Yeah. 
and the offensive line, you know, struggles have affected Sean Thomas Erlington uh, getting opportunities to be successful. One guy's not blocking for him up front. And then two, Tycat's always being in, you know, second and long and okay, we're not running the ball this time, but I think the Ticats to be successful, you're going to have to run the ball with Sean Thomas Erlington to alleviate some of that pressure that's coming on Dane Evans. Um, now as for, by the way, the CFL, um, have they signed up for NFTs yet? Are they selling NFTs? I want to get an NFT of Sean Thomas Erlington jumping over Gregory mm. <laughs> late in that game. Um, I was like, man, even coach O. He was, you, they showed him on the sideline watching that play. Yeah. He like, looked. he's like, oh my goodness again. Cause Sean Thomas Erlington, he loves trying to jump over guys. <laughs> I want to play this clip from Sean Thomas Erlington from the post game interview uh, that was tweeted. Yeah. This is so good. This is him uh, with TSN. Would you describe that hurdle over Greg Reed? Because that had highlight of the night potential all over it. I would describe that as a habit. I guess I'm great in the habit of doing that. Obviously, it's not something I do every time, but it's in my arsenal. It's in my arsenal, and then just this big, goofy, happy smile. <laughs> and I love that he says, I would call that a habit. Dude, how the hell do you call that a habit? Nobody's supposed to be able to do that once in their <laughs> career, but he's done it, right? Like, at Toronto, yeah. when they beat up on the Argos early in the season, week two, I think it was, of 2019, he did the same thing. That was like a 40-yard run, though. He did it, and then just took off. He's fun, man. He is really, really, he's, you know, I think he's the only member of the 2014 Montreal Caravan I don't hate. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Pretty, no, it's not. I, I don't have any problems with anybody else. But yeah, like he's immensely likable. And, uh, yeah. you know, we spent a lot of time talking about Canadian quarterbacks and Canadian receivers. And in terms of Canadian running backs, he's the dude. Yeah, it's Andrew Harris, Brady Oliveira. Yeah. There's other guys around, and then Sean Thomas Erlington. Yeah, he, he plays a big role in all of that. So congratulations to him and the Ticats for getting in the wing column on that What do you one. think the Ticats are going to do, though, with their offensive line right now? I think in a in a year where you didn't have to worry about quarantine periods and roster movement restrictions, uh, they probably would have done more wheeling and dealing. I don't know what that means. I don't know what they would have possibly done if it would have been an American free agent pick up and then they shuffle the ratio other directions or whatnot but isn't I tyler johnstone a free agent uh, i don't think he's on a roster right now i believe so but yeah, i mean i i don't know if i don't know if there's an easy fix because when you're at this point in the season and you're going into labor day do you want to just throw somebody into the fire and have that be a starter on an offensive line i we just saw that i think with with BC where they've got Bushel, Beattie, and, and uh, Broxton on the left guard and the left tackle spot trying to you know, figure it out. Or maybe Bushel, Beattie was on Ottawa. I might be getting those two confused. But regardless, like there was some fresh bodies in on the offensive lines in that Ottawa-BC game that I called. And, uh, and I, it, that's a tough ask, honestly, at this point when the systems are in and there's expectations. Yeah. You lean on the guy next to you, I think, for a lot of the snap-to-snap understanding of where you need to go, what you need to do. But now you've got another player worrying about essentially babysitting you throughout the game. So I I don't know how long they can stay status quo, but I do know that Toronto's front seven is terrifying. So if you're going Labor Day against the Argos, this is going to be a, an issue very quickly if, if Toronto decides to force your hand and pressure you a lot. Yeah, and we just talked about all the success of Sean Thomas Erlington against the Alouettes. For him to be successful, he needs opportunities and when he's back there trying to pick off you know rushers because there was a failure up front 
you're not putting him in the best situation to, to be successful as well. Um, and for, for Dane Evans, he took a lot of hard hits, hard hits against Montreal. And I just worry for Dane because it seemed in 2019, he had all the time in the world to throw the ball every time he dropped back. It's not the case this year. Um, and Tommy Cundell is definitely going to have to get creative. And when I mentioned Tyler Johnstone, uh, not a free agent in Montreal, but a trade of some sorts, because I said after week one, I don't think the answers are in house. I think you have to go out and get those answers. And I put it out on Twitter and it was probably harsh of me. I said, if Trevon Tate was released for poor play um, earlier in the season, which he was, then K. Okafer should probably follow suit. I understand Canadian ratio, it's a different thing. Um, but I don't think K. Okafer can play tackle. I think he's probably better suited at guard um, in the CFL because I've seen him play guard later in that 2019 season, and he had some success. I just think the tackle thing is is needs to be addressed um, for Orlando Steinauer, or else their quarterback's going to be on their back most of the season. Uh, and again, uh, Toronto is, is going to put that into a crystal clear picture for Ticats fans in the home opener. Hamilton, the last team, by the way, to not have yet played at home. But uh, the fans I know are going to be thankful that they're coming home for Labor Day. And Labor Day is always unique. But to get it a month into the season, week five, your first home game. And they're going to have a lot of home games down the stretch because they've been on the road forever here to start the season off. Longest of any team across the Canadian Football League. So that's exciting to uh, to see them coming back. Uh, let's spend a couple of minutes here. Uh, just let me get CFL and TSN stuff out there for people because I like using this platform instead of Twitter or anything else as a way to uh, talk to people about kind of behind the scenes type stuff because it's such a, an easy way to be able to communicate that. So first and foremost, you know, I could sit here and uh, blubber on about how amazing the CFL and TSN crew is. I think everybody understands that at this point. I talked about that last week. Yeah. Uh, I, I do want to give a, a huge thank you to Dwayne Ford for putting me at home. John Pearlberg <laughs> up in the booth there, stats man, hanging out by my side, giving, making me sound smarter than I am. Uh, you know, Chris Edwards directing the entire ship in the background and being able to team me up in ways that, honestly, if you fail when you have Chris Edwards in your ear, you're an idiot you just are like there's, there's, <laughs> there's no way to fail when that guy is leading your, your production. So um, that was awesome. The game itself, uh, again, peel back the curtain on this. I didn't expect calling my first national television game to feel any jitters whatsoever. I did. I, I was totally comfortable. Uh, I had the sweet suit on from state and Liberty in downtown Toronto. Shout out to them for hooking me up with, uh, with that through TSM, but I felt good tons of prep and then the game starts and my thing was let's just get in the first couple of sentences here like let's not stumble over our words going into the show and let's let's find our footing but I know for a fact that television tends to just by its nature and the tight windows that you have to work in it can scrub some of the personality some of the character out of people and it's the thing I have always admired about Rod Black and Rod Smith and Dustin Nielsen's doing an amazing job of it now. The color analysts, whether it be Suter or Ford or Dunnigan or Steele or all these people, is that they've been able to, a lot of the time, maintain their personality while giving you the goods, right? The, the X's and O's or the nuts and bolts of the broadcast and what they're trying to accomplish. For me, the first quarter, and I, I talked to a couple of people about this afterwards who said, man, you were really slow in the first quarter, you know, slow jumping on plays and 
I would just describe it as timid. Didn't expect it to be timid. I'm not a timid person. But it was timid because I was just, like you're talking about with the offenses, Kyle, through games, feeling it out. Mm -hmm. And that that was the most frustrating feel-out I've ever had before because in my mind I'm going, I know how to do this. I know how to call football games. But it's been two years since I've done this in a real, meaningful, live-to-air way. And... I don't know how far to push the boundaries. I don't, I'm getting used to all of the lights and the buzz and the huge screen in front of me and the teleprompter over here and Dwayne Ford's. And there was just so much going on that I, I felt bad when the game ended, when I was in the car going home, just thinking, man, I kind of wasted that first quarter. And I, this is the other thing too. Like (laughs) I mentioned that and I put out on Twitter for people like, thank you for any and all support that you gave. And uh, the reason that I say that is because I, I'm not a believer in going on Twitter when you're doing broadcasts. I think it's just bad. I've heard Joe Buck talk about it before where he says, whether it's good or whether it's bad, it's unhealthy to go on there and concern yourself with anything other than the game. But we had a commercial break late in the first quarter and probably just out of habit. Cause on CFL games, I always just open up the hashtag and see what people are talking about. And I honestly thought the internet was broken or I was living in a bizarro world (laughs) because people were being basically unanimously nice. Yeah. I haven't seen the internet be unanimously nice since about 2008. Uh, So, you know, looking at, at the timeline and seeing people saying, you're doing a great job and I'm standing in the booth. I'm going, no, I'm not like I, I, cause I know what I can do. And I, Again, maybe I'm just highly critical or whatnot, but I, w- I have a standard of, of how I want to bring broadcasts and energy and tidbits and you know getting out of the way so that Dwayne can do his thing, but being uh, succinct and being able to... And all of that comes with time and reps and experience and whatnot. But people were so nice, Kyle, when I didn't deserve... I, I didn't deserve them being so nice. And I don't know what to say to that other than I was sh- shocked, honestly, uh, because... That, that's not something that's common in 2021 on any topic is giving somebody the breathing space and time to be like, you're doing great. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you'll, you'll figure it out. It's like everybody wants now, 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 yeah. get better. Why are you doing, oh, you messed up that. Were you And uh, trust me, I got some mess ups here. I'm going to play for you in a second. <laughs> but, but when I, because I, I want to laugh at myself because I think that's the best thing to do when you're learning is just go, wow, I'm an idiot. All right, let's move on. Uh, but I, I was shocked that people were, that gentle with me yeah and and i and i i really really do appreciate it because i opened up twitter the reason i say this is i opened up twitter during the game i saw that support and immediately i felt more comfortable yeah and i and i didn't go onto twitter looking for self-gratification or to bump my confidence up but i i went in there just to see what the people were talking about with the game and what they were talking about because the game was a little slow to start was hey who the hell is this guy he's not bad yeah and that's all i needed was a he's not bad in order to be like okay, yeah, you know what, I can, I'll, I can do this. And, and I got more comfortable as the game went on. And uh, so I, anyways, that was, that was my main takeaway was I don't know why <laughs> you guys were so nice. I didn't deserve any of the niceness, but thank you. Yeah, that was the thing that stuck out to me. So uh, Saturday night after your call, you called me from the road as you yeah. were heading back to, uh, to Hamilton. And I didn't know that you had checked Twitter. I thought you had stayed off social media during the call and even after the game. Um, and I obviously checked out what people were saying on a Twitter during the broadcast. And so I didn't know that you knew how nice people were 
And as soon as I mentioned, I said, yeah, the feedback was great. And you're like, I know everybody was so nice. I, I it didn't. It still shocks me. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget how <laughs> uh, genuinely kind people were yeah. with with that, because that is that's a vulnerable spot. And uh, for me, you know, the first half of the first quarter trying to get into a rhythm and trying to figure out where Dwayne likes to go and trying to stay out of the way and not say too much because television doesn't want that. You know, doing radio was so easy for me on play-by-play because it was just, hey, talk as much as you want, paint the picture as vividly as you want. And if I would step over Morielli and leave him a 10-second window to work in, Morielli on radio was like, fine, I I don't give a damn. doesn't matter to me. If you step all over Dwayne Ford on national television, people very quickly are going to go, uh, Hey, maybe this guy should yeah. shut, shut up and not talk all the time. <laughs> so it's, um, it, it's such a balancing act and it's going to be a learning process, but it's, I, I just <laughs> thought it was incredible that people gave me that leeway to say, yeah, you'll figure it out. You'll be fine going forward here. And, and Dwayne is so good, man. People don't realize how good Dwayne Ford is. And I haven't worked with other analysts, so I don't really have a, you know, comparison shopping isn't really worth doing, but Dwayne he knows so much about football and he's able to fit incredible tidbits of knowledge into a 10 second window. And he also is such a personality. And I don't think that comes through all the time on television, but when the the camera turns off and we go into the quarter break or something like that, he is the funniest guy in the room, in the truck, in the booth, all of that stuff. And it just puts you at home to be able to be around somebody who is, that confident and understanding of, yeah, this is how we do this, how we do this, how I was just uh, turn around, let's go on camera and have some fun and, and all of these things. So I could not have, <laughs> have wished for a better partner and Matt Shinetti on the sideline, Matthew Shinetti, uh, you know, welcoming me to the team with his first sideline hit was a, an unexpected moment as well. And uh, it was, it was a really, really cool experience and a great football city with just a unique night of people who, again, I don't understand why they were so kind, whether it was the crew uh, or it was the people on Twitter, but I just, I yeah. just, keep, I just keep saying thank you. I just keep thinking like you guys carried me through that night and gave me the opportunity to learn on the job, and that's not common. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons for everybody being so nice: one, you did a great job; two, I think people were happy, and you know this, right? There's two types of CFL fan fans um, in terms of how they relate to U Sports. One, they don't have an opinion on it because they're just like, yeah, I care about the CFL, not really a U sports person, but I don't have an opinion. It's not like a negative opinion or anything like that. And then you have CFL fans that are diehard U sports fans. And I think they were happy to see two OUA guys uh, in the booth calling the game. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, it's going to actively be part of my approach to play by play is sprinkling in that U sport, whether it's a score update or if it's a little bit of a preview or whatever it might be. You dropped that Laval Sherbrooke. Uh, yeah, yeah, Montreal. Or Montreal. Yeah. Montreal was, honestly, if I had more time, I was going to mention that there was a record 208 U Sports alumni on CFL rosters to start off the year and wow. pump the tires of U Sports a little bit more and talk about Laval against McGill, which, by the way, was a 17 11 final, I believe, for Laval, but a good effort for McGill. Uh, and I was going to tease Dwayne because the first game that Western or McMaster plays on September 19th, I believe, which is a rematch of the Yates Cup, it's Mac at Western. I had all this, I, <laughs> I hit 10% of the stuff that I had saved in uh, in the memory bank and on my game sheet to be able to use but that's an important piece for me because uh, I know that I want to see this grow in 
the best way that I can do that is to use my platform and make people more aware. And if we make that a consistent thread and as part of the conversation where U Sports discussion is tied at the hip with CFL, CFL is a passionate, passionate following. U Sports has a passionate local following, a micro following that's really passionate. Yeah. Why, why can't we just make that more, uh, I would say, prevalent in, in the conversation around the CFL where if it latches onto the U Sports discussion, hell yeah, that's a good thing for everybody that's involved with this stuff. So I also knew we were going to get killed on Twitter for doing an NFL promo read. As soon as I saw I had to promote Cowboys Buccaneers, I was like, yeah, people hate. I always see that on Twitter. People hate people need Twitter. to look at ratings and see how much the NFL pulls in Canada. It pulls know, a crazy number. I know, and I understand that. And it's not that I don't love the NFL. God, I, we talked way too long about the Bills a couple of weeks ago because I love the Buffalo Bills. We love talking NFL yeah. as well. We love football. I, but but I see the way that that's discussed online during yeah. CFL games whenever the prom- promos happen. And I, you know, they said, "Hey, you got an NFL read here coming out of break." And I said to Dwayne, "I go." you know what, I'm going to do the NFL read. Why don't we hit a couple of little U-sports things here and there on the way out? He's like, perfect. Like, and he's just down, right? And that's why he's such a great teammate is that on top of everything else, he's flexible and he's just rolling with the punches and having yeah. fun with it. Now, time for my uh, old man on the porch moment. Okay. Um, I can say this now because I'm not tied to TSN. I know you are. You don't have to say anything on this. Um, can we see, uh, please stop putting the CFL games on all the other TSNs except the main TSN? Uh, it is really frustrating. It's like the CFL gets bumped for everything now. Yes, you had the Women's World Hockey Championships, and there's probably a, a contractual obligation there to put them on a main channel. I understand that. What the hell are we doing with Major League Soccer getting the, the, the main channel? Get, so th- like, this is Major actually- League so- all the Canadian teams suck. <laughs> so this is actually important. Uh, yeah, Pacific FC beating the Whitecaps. Uh, but th- this is actually important that people need to realize is like, because there's a numbering system with the TSN channels, everybody thinks like, oh, they're they're just all the same channel and they just shift shuffle things around. It's regional. Like it's regional yeah. stuff, which we understand. TSN four, if you live in Ontario, that's kind of like Leafs, they play a lot of their games there. TSN three, Winnipeg gets a lot of stuff. TSN five, West Coast, I believe. So it's it's regional stuff. We just didn't go regional naming, I believe, because I've never asked anybody about this, but I believe because the, be the guys, same as Sportsnet. The, yeah. The, yeah, the other guys did the, the regional naming stuff. So we decided not to do that. And um, that has it, it, there's always a protected, if you want to know the term channel where the game will not get bumped. And anytime that they can make that TSN one, they do. But it's also a business. And so if they have to protect a game on TSN three. And you're saying, well, what the hell? I don't have TSN3. That's just them playing the business card of trying to get you to get a TSN3. And I agree. It'd be great yeah. to have games on CTV and uh, on on all available televisions all across the country. And maybe we get to that point. That's way over my pay grade, my decision-making ability. But uh, yeah, there's there's always a strategy that's in place. And honestly, I'm on the email thread. I get that five days before the games. Hey, here is the channel that's going to have the game no matter what. It doesn't matter if Bryson DeChambeau goes to a 17th straight <laughs> playoff hole, okay? We're Patrick going, Cantley. <laughs> yeah, we're going to end up having this game protected on this channel, which is when you see Jermaine Franklin dive in, and then he throws and all that stuff. So, uh, anyways, that's that's all very uh, inside baseball, behind broadcasting type stuff. But, yeah, they, they, they do try to protect on as many primary channels as possible for people, I guess, is the point um, on that one. Uh, the last thing I want to do before we get out of here is laugh at me. Uh, because I, you know, people, as I say, were incredibly kind when it came to 
us kind of fumbling around and, and finding our feet and finding our rhythm and being able to get comfortable. And as the broadcast went on, it, it was smoother. There were still some things that, again, I, I won't uh, open up for the audience on absolutely everything, but there's some, still some things I got to work on and I'll be working on for the rest of my career as long as I get an opportunity to do this great job. And uh, But I did want to laugh at just my top five worst moments from the broadcast here five yeah there were and it was it was tough to nail down five because in my mind as a hypercritical person yeah, yeah, yeah of myself which i man that naomi osaka tweet that she sent out the other day that hit home for me i don't know if you saw that but i didn't see it uh she said let me pull this up here because i was actually reading this in passing i think on sunday morning and i was like huh that's exactly how i feel thank you naomi osaka for being able to uh, bring that into fruition for me because she is uh, she's an incredibly unique person, women's tennis player. Those of you who are not super familiar with it, but she she sent this out. Hi, I've been reflecting over this past year. Uh, so grateful for the people around me because the support I feel is completely unparalleled. Recently, I've been asking myself why do I feel the way I do, and I realize one of the reasons is because internally I think I'm never good enough. I've never told myself that I've done a good job. But I do know I constantly tell myself that I suck or that I should be better. I know in the past some people have called me humble, but I really consider it that I'm extremely self-deprecating. Every time a new opportunity arises, my first thought is, wow, why me? I guess what I'm trying to say is that I'm going to try to celebrate my accomplishments more. I think we all should. You got up in the morning and didn't procrastinate on something? You're a champion. Figured something out at work that's been bugging you for a while? Absolute legend. Your life is your own and you shouldn't value yourself on other people's standards. I know I give my heart to everything I can. And if that's not good enough for some people, then my apologies. But I can't burden myself with those expectations anymore. Seeing everything that's going on in the world, I feel like if I wake up in the morning, that's a win. That's how I'm coming moving forward. And I was like, you know what, Naomi, do you? I don't think I'll ever get there, but I appreciate the sentiment of that, which is maybe we should stop hating on ourselves all so much because, uh, you know, things are yeah. Celebrate that shoelace tie like Coach Carter. <laughs> yeah. Woo! Look at that bow. I tied that bow. Yes. Uh, what a great moment. Do I actually have – I feel like I have that's that. A, that's a great movie. I love that movie. I've seen that movie too many times. Uh, <laughs> and a very obvious by my impersonation there of Samuel L. Jackson. But uh, All right. So here is number five for you on the five worst mo- – Kyle's so excited for this. He can't wait. Look at that smile on his face. Um, but I'm shocked you found five. I I, I know of one. Oh, uh, if... No, yeah, yeah, you do know of one because it's the it's the, <laughs> it's the grand finale of all. This. Uh, <laughs> but uh, number five, you and I have been texting back and forth for a while. Closed back channels uh, of judginess on people. Why the hell can't they just say Michael Riley? It's not that hard. He wants to be called Michael. Well, then I get into the television booth. The opening kickoff happens. It's returned by Chris Rainey out to the 43-yard line and wrapped up at the 37-yard line as Mike Riley takes the field for the first time here in Ottawa. The very... So you paused. You were going to say, cool. But I, the second that I said Mike, I wanted to punch myself in the stomach. And I was so uh, – like, the, you have to understand, this is the first three minutes of the broadcast, and I already hate myself. Because I promised myself the entire time I would call him Mike. Wrapped up at the 37-yard line as Mike Riley takes the field for the first time here in Ottawa. So awkward. And the worst thing that you can do in broadcasting is 
when you make a mistake, double down and make it more awkward. I successfully accomplished that two minutes into the show where Mike, Riley, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> it's whatever. Uh, that's a, that's not even a mistake. That's just that, a, that, an that oversight. One, that one more. I actually DM'd his dad, Pat. I said, Hey, I don't have Mike's number, but, uh, can you just apologize to him for me? <laughs> I was like, cause I think I did that more than I realized as the night went on, because I was so focused on trying to juggle 500 other things that when you snap into your comfort zone, I'm going to call Bo. Imagine that, uh, that Bo Levi Mitchell wanted to only be known moving forward as Levi Mitchell. He wanted to drop the bow. Do you have any idea how hard that would be not to just be like, I know. Oh, runs it. And I understand that, uh, you know, we got one tweet during the game that said, Hey, please honor his mom. I'm like, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm yeah. doing everything I can. It's just you snap into your comfort zone because you're doing a hundred other things. It, it's so weird to me because look, Michael Riley was in the CFL for such a long time and we knew him as Mike. It's so hard. Yes, we can say to ourselves, you know, okay, let's say his full name, let's say Michael. But in conversation, random conversation, I did it already on this show today earlier. I I said, Mike, it just, it happens. It's like programmed in the brain. And now we have to reprogram ourselves out of it. It's like, for example, if, uh, you know, uh, Jake Mayer uh, decided, hey, um, my mother would like if everybody called me Jacob Mayer. Okay, that'd be a lot easier to get over than Michael Riley, who's been slinging in the CFL for 10 years. Yeah, it's true. Uh, number four for you here in mess ups on the broadcast. Uh, people might not even think that this is that big of a deal, but this is just like one of those little things that eats away on you during a three hour broadcast, a three hour show, is that you keep cycling back and getting into yes, you find your rhythm, but when you haven't called a game in two years, you find your rhythm. At the same time, you were finding your rhythm in ways that you don't necessarily like, such as repeating the same term over and over again. And, yeah. and for me, it was teeing up Dwayne Ford, treating him as though we were the voices behind MXC, the old show on Spike, where we have this rejoin here where we've talked about MXC on the show before. Underrated part of MXC, by the way, is just the play-by-play man ending every sentence from the color guy, but going, right, you are, Cam. Right? Everybody remembers that show. <laughs> just like somebody runs up and waves their hand and goes like, uh, you know, I love Japan. And then you end up hearing, uh, wow, she's ready to go. There's uh, Cindy Lopper getting ready to hop into the water machine. And wow, she really took one off the face there, didn't she, Ken? Like just leaning in and going, like always teeing it up. Right, you are, Ken. Right, you are, Ken. Right, that was are. on Spike? Yeah, it was. That uh, show? That's my set. Uh, now that's, yeah, my second favorite uh, show behind uh, Pros versus Joes and uh, Petros Papadakis, my guy. Oh, man. <laughs> Saturday nights on Spike when I was a kid, unbelievable. It used to be MXC for about an hour, hour and a half, leading directly into Slam Ball. It oh, get, yeah. It doesn't get any better than that. They had the best programming lineup of all time. And then their commercials was just like guns, fast cars, beer. It was like, what a channel. How did CBS own this? This is all the dirty things CBS has been wanting to do for 50 years that they haven't had the guts to do. Well, apparently the guy that was running um, uh, Viacom, because that was the company behind CBS before yeah. they merged. So it was Viacom and then CBS bought Viacom. The guy that was running Viacom, at least the new guy that took over, uh, Dana White talked about this on the Joe Rogan uh, podcast when he was on once. Apparently the new guy came in and destroyed Spike. He basically sat down with the UFC because the UFC came up on Spike. They had the yeah. Ultimate Fighter on Spike, and basically 
the guy just stepped in and said, hey, you don't mean shit to us. And Dana White's like, huh? And he went to he went to get his money elsewhere. He's yeah. like, screw you. Hello, ESPN Plus. How do you do? Well, before that, it was Fox. Yeah, that's true, too. But anyway, so this uh, Right You Are Can, this MXC thing, uh, this is me with Dwayne Ford. This is number four screw-up of the debut broadcast. Nichols in the gun, looks into the boundary. Now we'll take off and run. Dives forward as a flag comes up. And expects some holding in the backfield here, Dwayne. Uh, again, that doesn't seem that's big, but, but when you say it, 10 times in the first quarter and a half, you start to realize, I think Dwayne knows when to talk. I don't think I have to tell Dwayne Ford when to talk coming out of that. So uh, that was just a little one, but that ate up. Now this one legitimately made my face go red and I was embarrassed and you'll understand why very quickly. All right, cue the highlight reel. Does that guy look oh. familiar, Marshall Ferguson? Oh, man. Memories. The, Memories and babies. That's all it is now, yeah. Dwayne. Well, there he is, my new play-by-play -play partner during his time as quarterback for the McMaster Marauders in U-Sports action. A lot of success during your time there, Marsh. So Dwayne is a... <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> so dumb. Let me let me preface this by saying I, I I appreciate them pulling the fast one on me because the end of the first quarter we're supposed to go to a board and do the statistics and I'm getting ready to go on camera for the first time ever is my tie all straight my buttons done up my yeah why did they put you on camera at the beginning of the game uh well, I don't, I don't, we threw always, me off we were just always following the normal like end of the first quarter end of the third quarter kind of thing but I'm getting myself all set up and I'm like okay coming back out of the stats and I'm asking people in the booth at the end of the first quarter right because I've got this mental mind map of where we're supposed to go on the broadcast I'm like hey who's, who's got the stats is, is there an interesting number here that we can uh Pearly John Perlberg in the booth the stats stats guy uh, what do you uh what do you see and what do you is there anything that jumps out nobody's talking to me and then all of a sudden Chris Edwards comes into my ear and uh hey coming back from break here guys in about 10 seconds and uh Dwayne's gonna lead Dwayne's gonna lead Marshall you just relax for a second Dwayne and I'm going Dwayne like why the hell would Dwayne <laughs> I already got replaced. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, am I doing? Are they maybe trying to like ease me into doing on camera, where it's Dwayne's gonna come in and say something fun and throw it at me, and we're gonna like bounce it around? And I'm like, why would they take that responsibility away from me to do the stats at quarter time? Because that's always the play-by-play -play guy's job. Weird. And then they come back with the, does that guy look familiar, Marshall Ferguson? And Dwayne is a CFL player, U Sports legend, all the rest, and he starts pumping my tires which is why i say it's so dumb again thank you to everybody for doing this and putting this <laughs> together behind the scenes john perlberg went through all of my stats my entire career and i apologize to him for doing that <laughs> but but when when they put that graphic up i'm like all i could feel was just everybody i've ever been coached by or played with at mcmaster going this guy had nothing to do with our success and i would I, say nothing but it, but it was like I told you when I called you after the game, I'm like, I was a solid six out of 10 in terms yeah. of a quarterback. I'm like, I was not above average. I was not anywhere close to great like Kyle Quinlan was for us. There are iconic names in U sports CIS football. And I was like a six, six and a half who could get the ball out of my hand and put it where it needed to go. But I, I laughed as soon as we went to break after they did this, because I said to Dwayne, he goes, ah, I, nice, nice little shout out. And I go, yeah, but. I know what I should have said is I should have just started listing off Mike Daly, Matt Sewell, Ben Daguilar, Dan Peterman, Dan Vandervoort, 
uh, Mike DeCroce, Cody, Cody Speller, Mike DeCroce, <laughs> Ben Ogle. Like I should have just done a laundry list of like CFL, 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 CFL. And I, I was going to say too, like I'm better at doing this job than I ever was at doing that job. And depending on how you feel this broadcast is going, that should tell you how good I was as a quarterback. So uh, I felt genuinely embarrassed by that. I, I, it was a fun moment that I'll remember for a long time, but similar to the whole Naomi Osaka thing and uh, you know, everybody being so kind on social media <laughs> that that came up. And the reason that you hear me laugh is I'm like, oh, God, I know what they're doing now. Like, all, all right. Cue the highlight reel. <laughs> Does that guy look familiar? So that's a laugh, but that's a TV laugh of me because <laughs> in my mind, I'm like, oh, no, I'm like, they're about to paint me as some like world beating quarterback who led us to all these incredible records throughout regular seasons and put up all these statistics. I'm like, yeah, sorry, everybody. I played with it, Mac. That's uh, that that was not. A, but I did get a text from a couple of people I played with. They're like, how much money did you pay them to put that stuff up? I was like, <laughs> uh, thankfully, I didn't uh, I didn't have any part of it. But uh, so that was uh, <laughs> so this is actually kind of funny. I clipped the long version of this because Dwayne's very nice. And then I try to steer the conversation back towards the CFL, but they already had a graphic prepared with my career stats at McMaster. So they decided to run that. And I, it was just this like tug of war between me trying to do the game and be like, hey guys, shut up. I wasn't that good. Let's not talk about this anymore. <laughs> and then being like, but we have a graphic and we have highlights and all these things. So just <laughs> listen to that push pull here. Cause it's actually pretty funny. A lot of success during your time there, Marsh. The uh, one one time that the quarterback sneak actually worked, I think. It's, it's, you guys dug in pretty good to be able to find that one. But thank you, and, and thank you to everybody from the CFL and TSN team for welcoming me in. It's it's a blast to be here and, and be working this game and be in this environment again. It's great to have people back in the stadium and being excited about CFL football. Well, no question. We're excited to have you with us. And, and wait till you see the hazing process. Oh, I can't TSN. wait. Yeah, I've heard it, it gets creative. The, the longer we go, I'm uh, very thankful that I was spared here on opening week. Too kind by the entire crew. Well, we got to give a little, little more love to the new guy. Right? Look at that record, 15 and four. That is like Bo Levi Mitchell-like in terms of winning percentage. You know, spent a little bit of time in the Stampeders training camp. Yeah, 2013, the uh, the old CIS U Sports quarterback internship. Thankful to Dave Dickinson, I went in and uh, just nodded and said yes, sir, and tried to respect John Huffnagel and everybody. It was a great time, but. And this is the part where it got. Oh, you should have brought up you sitting in John Huffnagel's seat. I should have brought up just going to Cowboys Casino every night of the week when I was in training camp in Calgary. But uh, I, I, this is this is where it got cringy for me as well. Is I was trying to find an exit ramp to get off the highway of Hey, Virgil was good at football, and the only one I could come up with as a segue, for some reason, was me acting as though I played professional football for twenty years. Great to be able to be around the game. Long as I have been. Great to be around the game as long as I have been. I played university football for five years and then I was done. <laughs> so I love the idea of me just trying to paint that on the way out. But anyways, um, then I, this is number two for you. Okay. And again, this is why I thought this needed to go to air. I'm not sure. And I, I haven't thought about when I played tennis in high school for about a decade. 
somewhere in the back of my head. It just existed. And then Dwayne just prompted it out of nowhere. And I don't know why this went to air. Grand Slam action on TSN continues Monday as the world's elite tennis players gather in New York for the U.S. Open. Early round coverage begins at 11 Eastern, 8 Pacific, only on TSN, presented by winners. You a tennis guy, Marshall? I actually played tennis in high school. Yeah, I won an Eastern Ontario Mixed Doubles Championship. <laughs> there you go. Little known fact. I played tennis in grade 9 phys ed class. <laughs> Why did I just humble brag about my grade 10 tennis title? What a weird thing to do. I'm telling you, man, when the lights go on and it's spur of the moment and somebody throws you a topic, you're just like, I actually did play tennis. Thank you so much for asking, Dwayne. And uh, Mixed Doubles Champion, IASA, Eastern Ontario Secondary School Athletic Association. And like I was this close to giving a shout out to Kaylee Babcock, who was the female in the Mixed Doubles pairing with me. Uh, and Did uh, she you know, carry you guys? Uh, yeah, she was significantly better than I was. Her brother, Jordan, was a fantastic tennis player. And I was close to, <laughs> see, this is the danger of the guy who does podcasts and radio for a living moving to TV. When you throw me, did you play tennis? I'm like, how long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, well, Kaylee Babcock, she met this really great guy in Hamilton, actually. They moved out to Kamloops and she got pregnant. She moved back. She now lives in Bath, Ontario. They just renovated this beautiful little two-bedroom condo. They're raising their daughter, Sloan. Like, I could have given you the whole background on Kaylee Babcock. Oh, that's true, by the way, because I talked to her not that long ago. I could have given you the whole background and I'd caught myself at, yeah, we won. And I'm, I realized after I'm like, I don't think a single person in that listening audience thought that that was an interesting note to throw in there, but it gets worse, Kyle, because number one on the top five worst moments of the broadcast, I spent the entire game waiting for a touchdown or a highlight play <laughs> or a nice play. Yeah. <laughs> or a nice, an explosive offensive play. And all I could think about was I'm going to nail this. I am going to nail this call in a way that will echo across centuries of sports broadcasting. The entire nation will hear my voice, give passion, and give direction as to what's happening on the football field on Sports Center. Hell, it might, it might even be a play of the year candidate, and it'll live in eternity where you'll be able to hear my first game ever. And then BC scored a touchdown, and I said that it was for Ottawa. Riley wants the corner out this time. Ball hung up. Now he's got it. Javon Katoy into the end zone in the rain in Ottawa. Extends the lead for the Red Bull. So awkward. So, oh, man. So incredibly so. awkward, man. Like, listen, and backstory on this, just listen to how I cut myself off because my brain realizes halfway through the Red Bull what I'm actually doing in Ottawa extends the lead for the red button. I turned to Dwayne and I mouthed. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> just like a, a like uh, an open mouth F bomb because I knew, and he just nods and then listen to the dead air after I do that, because Dwayne's like, Oh, I ain't touching this. <laughs> Shocks the crowd here in Ottawa as the Lions go up. <laughs> immediately, I'm like, okay, how do I recover this? Uh, I need to immediately make the correction. Don't let it yeah. linger. Make sure that everybody knows you know the Lions just actually scored this touchdown. Yeah. Um, so uh, I was watching the game, and I could hear the call. And I'm like, he just say four, the Red Blacks, or on the Red Blacks? So immediately, I have DVR. I roll that baby back. 
and I heard the call and I was like, oh no. Yeah, yeah. And the worst part is, is the call up until then was fantastic. Into yeah. the end zone in the rain in Ottawa. Yeah, real creative. I used the same word three times. I'm a real poet. Uh, but I yeah, it was good. It was good. I promised people uh, that at some point we would get the therapy couch out here. So I'm just I'm just gonna lay down <laughs> the therapy couch here for a second, maybe. I just uh, <laughs> here we go. <sighs> so I thought I thought there was gonna be like more of a heads up when there was gonna be a good play. Right. So I don't know. Maybe I just thought that I'd have more time to make the call or like there would be a better understanding of that. There was a big moment in the game. It kind of came out of nowhere, which caught me off guard, but that's like, that's not an excuse. You know, I'm not making an excuse for for my behavior, my actions. Um, It's just, it's one of those things that kind of creeps up on you in your first game. And, you know, you're just, you're trying to make your way through and it's, it's a pretty run heavy game. And there's a lot of running plays, and then all of a sudden they're they're throwing the ball. And <laughs> when they when they take to the air, and you see a defender there, and you're ready to call an incompletion or maybe even an interception, the last thing you expect is Javon Katoy to catch the ball and turn up field and, and make a play like that. So it's I don't know. Do you have any questions, Kyle? Um, you want to know? So how did you feel immediately after you fucked up the call? <laughs> um. I mean, that's strong language. I mean, I guess it's, <laughs> although I, I knew right away that I had messed it up. Um, it kind of felt like if you were to drop a bowling ball onto your crotch, um, <laughs> I guess would be the way to describe that from about maybe not 20 feet up. That would have been if you just like swore on air by, by accident. But, um, you know, it was a solid 10 foot drop of a bowling ball onto your wiener. And, uh, I mean that that's gonna it's gonna haunt you, you know, for a while there. And yeah, and at, and at that point all you can do is try and try and do good, you know, you know try and try and make up for, for the mistake. And you know, I, I'm not sure that you can earn the respect back of the viewers after you go through something like that, but all you can do is uh is, is beg and plead that, you know, maybe the next time there will be a next time, right? And uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's important. Did you uh did you think to yourself at any moment, man, I hope the CFL uh, or the TSN Sports Center editing guys edit that out because mm. that's the biggest play from this game. Yeah, that was the only thing I thought actually. <laughs> um, the second that it happened was, dear God, this is going to be a play on Sports Center for the next 24 hours uh, because we were the only football game, CFL game that was on that night. And, you know, I'm just worried. You know, my grandpa is in a retirement residence in Kingston. And I'm like, well, what if, what if Gerald turns on the tube? you know, and, and he hears his, his grandson's voice and his grandson's making a complete ass of himself by not knowing who scored the yeah. touchdown, you know? So it's it, at that point, it really just becomes about like family legacy. And then there's like some, <laughs> some, some deep rooted issues there that maybe we can deal with in another session. But uh, I mean, it was, it, it really, it shook me to my core for about three seconds. And then another 10 seconds after that because Dwayne Ford didn't talk and save me um, would have been great if Dwayne, you know, just jump into the breach there and, and you know, pull, pull the parachute for the both of us. And, you know, maybe he makes the correction, but uh, you know, hey, I, you got to look I, at I, it as a positive. Maybe that was his hazing process. You know, you I, screwed I, up and now you can stew. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It was, uh, uh, it, it was not ideal in the moment, but 
uh, <laughs> we we persevered and uh, and we figured it out as we went. So hey, uh, it get it gets worse because uh, maybe uh, the audio uh, got screwed up as well, but the uh, close captioning. It's probably worse. <laughs> yeah, I would have loved if somebody would have just screenshotted the closed captioning of a lion running into the end zone and the closed captioning says, touchdown, Red Blacks. Uh, <laughs> that's my first game. That would have been, but by the way, out of context baseball uh, or closed captioning baseball might be the name of the account. Amazing. Uh, they just post things that are said on baseball broadcasts with closed captioning that are oh, they're the best. W- without context. It's the greatest. It really <laughs> is the greatest. So. Uh, all right, that is it for the uh, the errors that I'm willing to bring to the air. I'm sure there's more that, the that I've missed. Um, you know what? Not bad. That was a good therapy session. I actually <laughs> feel better after coming out of that. So I Clearly, I'm not a psychologist. Well, I appreciate you asking the difficult <laughs> questions there and uh, opening up some, again, deeply rooted family history and whatnot. Get ready! Get ready! Let's go! A little urgency. Here we go! Let's go! We're almost out of here. This is the three-minute warning brought to you by... Brought to you by Gerald Ferguson, uh, who turns 86, I think, on September 1st. My grandpa, uh, he's, he's got a, a big B-Day coming up right now. So sent the card off in the mail. Going to uh, gonna call the big man and wish him a happy birthday. September 1st, that's a cool birthday to have, right? Because you, you're switching over and kids going back to school and all that. That's a, that's a cool time of year to have. Mine, mine's June 15th. I always appreciated that because... Uh, when you're in elementary school, you're just running around with your head cut off by the time that you hit the end of June. So, uh, you well, your birthday is like halfway through the year, which is like perfect. Yeah. yeah, and you get water balloon birthday parties. I would watch the <laughs> M- NBA finals and the NHL, the Stanley Cup and whatnot would be my birthday parties when I was growing up. So, uh, yeah, that is ideal. But uh, thank you, as always, to Fox 40 for supporting us here on the podcast. Make sure you're going fox40shop.com using the promo code cfp15 get yourself a little discount right there and of course cfl is the promo code for sawdustcitybeer.com as well kyle this was fun thank you and uh we are headed into labor day so i think next week we might bump all the podcasts by a day to make sure that we can get everything in uh that's coming up in the next week here in the cfl by the way didn't even mention it your guy four weeks into the cfl season Finally, a winning week with the picks. Beautiful. I was on the stamps yesterday, plus the points. They lost the game, but they covered the spread. (laughs) That's all that matters, baby. (laughs) That's all that matters. (laughs) Just win against the spread. I think that's what Al Davis was saying under his breath when he made that quote. But uh, thanks for tuning in, as always, at Marshmallow, at Kyle underscore Mellow underscore. I'm at TSN underscore Marsh. And we are at CF Perspective. CFPerspective.com is where you can find us as well. We got a full lineup of shows for you throughout the week to get you set for Labor Day. We'll have all the news on everything happening around the Elks organization. We're going to end up doing a deep dive into the three matchups of prominence uh, going into Labor Day weekend with DT on the breakdown coming up on Wednesday and much, much more. So follow us on Twitter and Instagram and visit the website whenever you get a chance. For now, we say thank you and thank you again to everybody who was a part of the broadcast on Saturday night. I, uh, I laugh about it. I joke about it. And, uh, you know, the flubs and the mistakes and all the rest, but... Uh, it's a night that I will never forget, and I hope it's the first of very, very, very many. And uh, if you want to scream and holler at TSN to give me more games, then eh, yeah, go ahead. Maybe I just want to, yeah, I just want to uh, reiterate that uh, you did a great job. I was, uh, I was super uh, happy, super proud, whatever word you want to put on it. Uh, watching you uh, do your thing on TV. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Uh, we'll be back for you coming up next Tuesday. Next Tuesday is we'll bump everything by a little bit to get those Labor Day recaps in for you right here on Canadian Football Perspective. Have yourself a great week, everybody.
Hey, everybody, McConaughey here. Extends the lead for the red button. Let's see if we can make some lemonade out of this lemon that we're in the middle of. Turn a red light into a green light. Just keep living.